stay seated for this reading, but Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37 tells us this. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is, do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who's on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? They asked. He replied, Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Here's a question I pose to you. What did Jesus preach about the most in his ministry, his earthly life? If you think about it, and if you try to come up with a good answer, there's a few ways you could answer that. What did he preach about the most? Well, some people might say, well, he preached about hell the most, because he spoke about hell often. And of course, he did. Some people might say, well, Jesus spoke about greed and money the most, because so many of his parables and sermons had money or greed involved in them. However, Uh, Just that little footnote there on that money one. Though a lot of the parables do contain money and coins and wages, that's not necessarily what the point is that he's speaking about. For, For example, comparatively speaking, Jesus speaks about food a lot in many of his parables, but that doesn't mean he's necessarily speaking about food per se. It's usually for some greater, bigger point. So what is it that Jesus preached about the most in his earthly ministry? Is it love? Is it joy? Like, what is it? I would argue, in light of the Gospels, that it's quite clear what Jesus focused on. Here's a few passages that will help us understand what was it that he preached about the most. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, this is detailing John the Baptist before Jesus stepped onto the scene, recording what John did to prepare the way for Jesus what happened? It tells us, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, repent, what happens after that? For the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew chapter 4, right, right after that, when Jesus began his public ministry in Capernaum, and it tells us after John had been imprisoned, verse 17 tells us, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, Why? What's going on? For the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, records it slightly differently. It tells us, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What was the good news? What was the gospel he was preaching? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You fast forward a little bit in Luke chapter 9. We went through this maybe a year ago. I don't remember exactly when. But Luke chapter 9. So the disciples had had some training time with Jesus. They had walked around with him for a few weeks, months, perhaps a year. I don't know the exact time frame. But nonetheless, they had walked around with Jesus on earth for quite some time. And what, what were they doing? They were learning. They were observing. They were watching. They were looking, hearing. What did Jesus focus on? What did he preach? And eventually, the time came for Jesus to send them out on their own to go and do likewise. And what did Jesus call the twelve to do? Luke chapter 9, it records, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So all of those passages, not to mention the many parables in which Jesus himself says, you know, what is the kingdom of God like? It is like a farmer. It is like a mustard seed. It is like, you know, so on and so forth. What is the kingdom of God? The point is, Jesus, I, I believe, if you would boil it down to something, what did Jesus preach about the most? It was the kingdom of God. Many commentators agree with that as well. One scholar goes so far as to say, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, this is the central theme of Jesus' preaching, especially according to the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And you can kind of break that apart into two components. Right? Jesus came, the kingdom is here, the kingdom has come, the arrival of the kingdom, but then also, how do you get into that kingdom? I think a lot of times in churches, we can focus on that second part. Right? How do you get into the kingdom? How do you go to heaven? What, what did the cross and resurrection do for our eternal life? What happens when you die? You know, the, the crude way of thinking about it, the whole fire insurance thing. Right? Jesus came so that we're, we're covered from what happens after we die. And of course, that's all true and needed, necessary. But it's also about the kingdom has come. The kingdom is here. And God not only wants us to experience eternal life in the future, but the whole point of Jesus coming into the world is so that we might taste and see of his grace and goodness here today. We certainly see that in the life and ministry of Jesus. He didn't come just preaching about what happens after you die. So he certainly did. But he also allowed people to have foretaste of the kingdom. Right? He, we see so many people healed, so many blind people being able to see, uh, people who are possessed with demons being delivered. That is what the kingdom of God looks like here in the world. In the light of all of that, do you know what Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says? This is a familiar passage. Maybe it's one you'd memorized before. What's Matthew 6, 33? Somebody knows it. It's related to the kingdom. You'll know it as soon as I start it. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. Life is not about making money. Life is not about being happy per se. Life is about pursuing and seeking the kingdom of God. But 
In our passage this morning, Luke 17, verses 20 37, what Jesus does here is clarify to the Pharisees and then to the disciples what actually is this kingdom. It's not the first time he's spoken of the kingdom in the Gospel of Luke. We've mentioned it in several passages before. But he continues that discussion, that presentation, that sermon preaching. And it's important to know some parts of the Bible are more focused on commands. Some, some parts of the Bible are just straight instruction, like this is what you are called to do, this is how you are called to live. While other parts of the Bible are focused more so on the truth. Right? This is the truth. This is the information, this is the doctrine that you must believe. This is the clarity that I want to bring to your understanding and to your mind. Right? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God does speak to our minds. He does speak truth to us. And that, more or less, is what I believe this passage is focusing on. It's Jesus clarifying for us truth concerning the kingdom of God. And today, this all leads up to, what are we aiming for today? If you and I, as the church, are to seek the kingdom of God, we have to know what it is. We have to understand some basic concepts and principles about what is this kingdom. And I mean, if I just asked you right now, what is the kingdom of God? It's in our mission statement. What is the kingdom of God? And you know, it's kind of easy to think about the first two. Uh, we want to know God's word, right? That's the Bible. We want to show God's love. That's being kind and, and gracious, sharing the, the gospel with others, ultimately. Uh, good deeds with others. But what is this aspect of growing God's kingdom? How do you define that? What does that mean? Well, my goal is to help us formulate a, a good answer to that so that you and I might seek the kingdom of God. So our uh, outline today, a few bullet point questions that will help formulate our thoughts on Jesus' central point of his preaching ministry. So first question, what is the kingdom? Right, the most basic, uh, straightforward question. What is this kingdom that Jesus spoke about so often? Well, believe it or not, in the Gospels, there is no definitive passage or verse in which somebody walks up to Jesus and says, Hey Jesus, what is the kingdom? You can't find that in the New Testament. Nonetheless, piecing together all that Jesus said and in light of the entirety of Scripture, uh, one commentator provided a good synthesis. He said, The kingdom of God is primarily the sovereignty of God. You can save that for the end. That'll be at the end. Yeah, thank you. Um, But the kingdom of God is primarily the sovereignty of God. And then another uh, commentator said, The kingdom of God refers primarily to the sovereign activity of God as ruler or king. So when we think about kingdom here on earth, I think it's easy for us to usually think about borders, literal physical borders. Right? The king of England is the king over this region, the king of you know, all the other countries that have kings still. We think about geographic areas. But that's not so much the focus when we read the Bible. It's not so much where as much as it is who. The kingdom of God focuses on the one who rules over all. It focuses on God Almighty as the sovereign ruler of all things. But then that leads us to the second question. What is the kingdom of God? Firstly, right, it's the rule of God's sovereignty. So where is this kingdom then? Right? There, there has to be some region in which he rules over. 
Well, one man named Abraham Kuyper, who, believe it or not, was the prime minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. So he was actually a, a solid Christian. And again, you see the Netherlands today, it's not, a, not at all the case. But nevertheless, Abraham Kuyper, he's well known for saying this. Quote, there is no, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Did you catch that? Every square inch in this universe, Jesus Christ Almighty says, that's mine. I own that. I created that. It's for my glory. I am the ruler, the creator over all things. Ephesians chapter 1 it's a wonderful passage which details this. Ephesians 1, 28-22, it tells us that Jesus is exalted, right? After his time on earth, he was exalted, he ascended back to heaven. He is now exalted over all things, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked. Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Listen to this wording. In God Almighty, the Father, God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Now, if you are a student of Greek, you'll know that the Greek word there for all, right, when it says God placed all things under his feet, it simply means all. And the same thing, everything, it's everything. It's not, it's not rocket science to understand the text of Scripture. The entire universe, right, from the Appalachian Mountains to the Andes, from earth itself to the edge of the galaxy and beyond, every square inch is the realm over which Jesus rules as king. Jesus is the king over all things. But then you'll notice in our text this morning, if you're paying attention, there's two things that the Pharisees and the disciples desired or wanted. And the third question that we ask today is, Why do people want the kingdom? Why do people want this kingdom in the first place? Because verse 20 tells us the Pharisees asking Jesus, walking up to him, hey Jesus, when is this kingdom coming? The implication is we want the kingdom to come. When, When is it coming? We're awaiting it, we're expecting it, we want it. Then verse 22, the disciples, Jesus tells us that the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. But you will not see it. And a quick little footnote there. If you're wondering, right, that one phrase, verse 22, you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. What is that? What is a day of the Son of Man? What, what does that phrase mean? Well, one commentator simply put, it's, it refers to the day in which Jesus returns to fully establish his kingdom. So for you and I, the, the way we all... It's the second coming. It's when Jesus comes back to the world in all of his splendor. So that's what Jesus is talking about. What You will long to see my return one day. You will long to see that. But you have to ask the question, why? Why do the disciples want to see this? Why do the Pharisees want to see the kingdom of God? And these two things overlap, right? The coming of the kingdom and the arrival and presence of Christ. They're very closely intertwined. Why do they want that in the first place? And for you and I, why should you and I want that? Why should we seek this kingdom? It's quite simple. Because 
Jesus will make all things right. He will make all things right. And there's two components to that. It's both God is going to judge the wicked, but he's also going to save his people and rescue his people. So the first component, all, turn on the news, right? You don't need me to remind you, but all the perverted sexuality going on in this world, all of the hateful racism in this world, all of the gross injustice among the poor and the marginalized, all of the senseless murder of babies, but not just babies, but of human beings, even if they're adults, all of that will be gone. But it's not just Jesus eradicating evil and punishing and judging wrongdoers. It's also the ushering in of good. It is the arrival, the full revelation and presence of what the Bible so often calls shalom. That peace, that wholeness, that fullness, what we were designed to be, who we were designed to be, flourishing, thriving. I mean, that Miss Gina spoke about that. The whole abundant life. It's not just existence. It's thriving. It's flourishing. It's abundant life. That's what the arrival of the kingdom means. That's what the return of Jesus means. And how can you not want that? Especially as a Christian. How can you not want Him to return? Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19 is a wonderful little picture of this. This doesn't, in this passage, this is when Jesus begins his ministry. He start, he, this is perhaps his first sermon. But this is when Jesus was in Nazareth. He was in the synagogue. He got the scroll of Isaiah to read. And a little kind of interesting tidbit, uh, when uh, rabbis in that time in the synagogues, when they taught, they usually sat down. So maybe one day I'll just get a seat up here, just sit down so I can be like Jesus. But... So Jesus there, he enrolls the scroll. What does he say? The kingdom of God is not mentioned explicitly, but the evidences, the ramifications, the outflow of the kingdom is present here. Listen to this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is what the kingdom of God is like. So then, next question we ask, when will the kingdom come? Right? You, you hear this kind of stuff about you know, all things being made right, the, the righteous and Christians being fully rescued, the, the evildoers in this world being punished, uh, when Jesus comes to rule in perfection. That sounds wonderful, when is it going to happen? Well, that's the exact question, more or less, that the Pharisees asked in verse 20. Approaching Jesus, when is this kingdom going to come? When is this perfect justice and freedom that we want to experience, when is that fully coming? Now you notice, Jesus doesn't give them a straightforward year, day, month prediction about when this is going to occur. But we see Jesus correcting their understanding about the nature of the kingdom. And Jesus says, it's not the kingdom of God isn't the coming of the kingdom of God. It's not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, 
because the kingdom of God is in your midst. What Jesus is doing here is what uh, one author, his name is George Ladd, he wrote a book about that thick, uh, just called The Presence of the Future. And that encapsulates what is going on here. Jesus is talking about what's known as the already, not yetness, of the kingdom. That is, the kingdom has begun. It was ushered in. It came into the world when Jesus was born into the world. But it hasn't fully been consummated. It hasn't been fully realized. The kingdom is here today. Presently, it was here in the first century when Jesus stepped into the world. But it's not yet fully complete. And we don't see the full effects of it. It's already here, but it's not yet. It is in your midst, as Jesus says here, but in Luke 13, Jesus also talks about the kingdom as this place kind of in the future out there where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where they all reside. So he's talking about this already, not yet, nature of the kingdom. George Ladd, he said, the kingdom of God has come in Jesus' person and mission. And thus, the essence, the essence of Jesus' teaching is that the ultimate reality, the kingdom of God has come into history. The absolute, the holy other has entered into time and space. Dear church, when the divine enters and steps into history, beauty and healing take place. So in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis's first book that he wrote in the Narnia series, but the second one in that uh, series of seven books. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. How do you know when Aslan is near or when he's active or on the move? Initially, towards the beginning of the book. How do you know that? It's when the snow starts to melt. And it's when the flowers start to bloom. And it's the same, similarly, with Jesus. When he draws near, when the grace and the glory and the power of God draws near to a person, touches a person, their body physically, but their soul on their inner being, when he draws near, healing and restoration and salvation take place. And it's not just inwardly, it's not just spiritually. Of course, Jesus came to save our souls. But the entire point of Christianity, it's not just Jesus saves our souls, it's he saves our very physical bodies. That is the hope, the unique distinctive of Christianity. Some religions downplay and deny the spirit. Some religions downplay and deny the physical. What's real is, you know, what's inside. But Christianity, it's, no, everything. All that I've created is equally and perfectly worthy and good. And I'm going to redeem the entire world. Your inner being, your anxieties, your frustrations, but even your physical body, right? Your backache, your poor vision, your lack of being able to taste food, whatever it might be, He's going to heal all your entire being. And we see this. Jesus Himself describes it this way in Luke 11, verse 20. Jesus Himself said, If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's what the kingdom of God means. That's when it touches a person. Where is the kingdom of God? When is it coming? It comes whenever you experience the grace, the healing, the forgiveness of Jesus. If somebody is delivered from a demonic force, the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
If somebody is healed, their sight is restored, the kingdom of God has come upon you. If somebody is brought back to life, the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's what it means. That's when the kingdom will come. Of course, it's in the future. right? It's when when Jesus fully comes back. But the point of this already not yetness of the kingdom is that you and I get to experience little foretaste of his kingdom today. And what a privilege you and I have. Christianity is not just about fire insurance. It's not just about what happens after we die. It's about the here and now today in 2023. God wants you to experience the kingdom in your own life today. So, conclude with, well, conclude towards the conclusion with two commands. One thing, as you read the Bible, it's important to take note of commands. Just what, what are the imperatives in the text? What, what does God want us to practice and to live by today? Now, you'll notice there's only two explicit commands in this text. I don't know if you caught them. The first one appears in verse 23, but 22 to get the context, right? Verse 22 and 23. The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Here's the command. Do not go running off after them. So what's the point? As you, dear Christian, as you await and long for and desire the day of the Lord, as you await Jesus' return, I encourage you, don't be carried away by end times prophecy where they specify his return. Okay, I'm not saying it's wrong to study the end times. You need to. It's in The entire book of Revelation is about that. It's good and proper to do that. But don't obsess and focus on the specificity of when he will come. Rather than pouring out all of your energy and enthusiasm into the specific day, month, and time, pour out your energy into sharing the message of the kingdom with others. Rather than, you know, wonder in your own living room, oh, he's coming, he's coming. Go out and tell others he's coming so that others might then join you when he comes back and rescues his people. And then the second command. I don't know if you caught where it was. It was in verse 32. It's kind of one of those, this could be up there with some of the shortest verses in the Bible. It just says, remember Lot's wife. Right? That's a command from Jesus. Remember Lot's wife, but little context. Verse, uh, I'll begin in verse 28. It's the same in the days of Lot. People were eating, drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. What does that mean? Was Jesus saying? So, verse 28 those things aren't inherently bad. Right? It's not bad to eat and drink and buy and sell things and plant and build. It's not bad. What, what Jesus is saying here is in the days of Lot, even in the days of Noah, the previous verses, these people were living as if nothing were going to happen. They had no concept, no planning for the future, the return of Christ, the, the reality of God's judgment in their context. They were just eating, drinking, marrying, you know, marrying up to the day, no concern for the immediate judgment that was to come. 
And Jesus is saying similarly, when the, Son of, the day of the Son of Man, when it's revealed, so many people will be like that. They'll be ignorant. They'll be careless. They won't pay attention or listen to any preaching that's done. They will just keep on living as if nothing is going to happen. Second Peter chapter 3 talks about that as well in the end times. And then, if you remember what happened with Lot's wife, right? Jesus, or God in the Old Testament, it's Lot, keep your eyes forward. Sodom, Gomorrah, they're behind you. Do not turn back. Don't even look back. My plan for you, my hope for you, it's all ahead. Keep your eyes up front on me, on my promises. What did Lot's wife do? She looked back. Don't know the exact reason why. I don't remember from the text. She looked back. She turned into a pillar of salt. Pillar of stone. Because God's word is serious. And why did Jesus say this? He tells us, you and I, even today, remember Lot's wife. What is the point? Keep your eyes fixed on the treasures in heaven. Keep your eyes fixed upon the hope, the promises of the gospel. And what, is, what are the treasures of heaven? It is not a gold mansion. Though by the Bible talks about that. That is not the treasure of heaven. The treasure of heaven is Jesus. It is Jesus Christ. It is God Almighty. It is the triune God. Keep your eyes fixed upon God. The cheap pleasures that the world constantly offers and claws for your attention and your affection, don't look to them, but be satisfied in my perfection. Keep your eyes fixed ahead on me. That, dear church, is why it is so important for you and I to have daily reminders of His grace. You and I daily need to taste and see that the Lord is good. You and I daily need to taste and read, be in the Word of God. You and I weekly need to gather with God's people at a minimum and just feast upon the Word of God through preaching and Bible study in Christian community. We need desperately need encouragement and reminders to be satisfied with God. Because every time we sin, it's because we are dissatisfied with God. We don't, we're not fully trusting, fully delighting, and we think this sin, this gossip, this pornography, this drinking, whatever it might be, we think this can give us some help. This can give us a little bit of joy. And the joy is all found in Jesus Christ. Remember Lot's wife, point of all of that is, keep your eyes fixed upon me. So I encourage you to practice both of those things. One thing I wanted to do, this is, this is in conclusion. I thought it would be different, uh, unique, might probably be a little weird for maybe all of us, some of us, but um, if you didn't know, we as a church, we affirm the Baptist faith and message as our belief statement. If you didn't know that, I encourage you to look it up and read the whole thing so you know that you're fully, you can support what goes on here. Nothing to hide. We're not ashamed of anything in that, in that, uh, pass, in that text. But the Baptist faith and message has two articles, Article 9 and 10, which details the kingdom and the last days. One thing I thought would be cool it, that would unify us together, but that would also help us be reminded succinctly of what we believe, what we confess, I'd like for us, to, if you again, if you're comfortable with it, repeat out loud with me 
uh, these two different articles from the Baptist Faith and Message. Um, so if you can go to that next slide, yeah. So this is the first one. And if you will, um, repeat this with me again. Encapsulation of all that we just covered. So it begins. The kingdom of God includes both His general sovereignty over the universe and His particular kingship over men who willfully acknowledge Him as King. Particularly, the kingdom is the realm of salvation into which men enter by trustful, childlike commitment to Jesus Christ. Christians ought to pray and to labor that the kingdom may come and God's will be done on earth. The full consummation of the kingdom awaits the return of Jesus Christ and the end of this age. And then Article 10. There it is. Yep, the last days. So it begins. God in His own time and in His own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to His promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. The righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. Amen. That is what we confess. That is what we preach. That is what Jesus Himself preached. And that is what we are called to ultimately live and pray for. Mr. Dave prayed it, and I close in prayer with that line from the Lord's Prayer. Our glorious Father who art in heaven, we ask You to let Your kingdom come. Lord, we want to see Your justice. We want to see Your perfection enter the world in fullness. We want to see sin and wickedness eradicated and destroyed. But Father, as so often is the case in Scripture, though You desire for the entire world around us to be renewed, help us to do what we can to focus on what we can do. And that is, help us to focus on ourselves. May we, as Your church, be Your instruments Be your hands and feet to spread this kingdom, to spread this love, to spread this gospel in this world. As we desire for sin to be destroyed around us, give us an equally and even stronger passion for sin to be destroyed in our own souls. The vein of Ephesians chapter 2, Romans 6 and 7, give us a heart that is intent on killing and destroying sin in ourselves. And Jesus, as Your Word further declares, may we as Your people equally and if not more so long for Your righteousness and Your love to flow through us. May we personally taste of Your love, taste of Your joy, be satisfied with the Gospel personally, and may we then share that grace, that truth, with others. 
with our spouses, with our children, our grandchildren, with our family, our friends, our church family, with our neighbors, with the lost all around us. Help us to be obedient to your commission to go and proclaim the kingdom. And until that day comes when you are fully manifested in your glory, when you come back, help us to be patient. Help us to be grateful. Help us to work hard. And Jesus, help us to be grateful for those wonderful little foretastes that we're able to experience here in the world of what your grace and your salvation and your healing look like. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.